0: Hey, welcome back to New to the Table, a podcast produced by She Sources for early career, whatever that means to you, women and gender non conforming people pursuing leadership positions in the entertainment industry. My name is Emma Woodfield Stern. My pronouns are she, her, and I'll be hosting this episode of New to the Table. I'm also the founder of She Sources and a multi hyphenate creative myself who is also early career, and I'm trying to figure out how everybody else got there so I can help you and me get there too. This guest on New to the Table is a friend of mine. We have Dennis Bulat on the show today. Dennis Bulat is a multi-hyphenate creative who primarily identifies as an actor, but has worked in literally too many production roles to count on one hand. She recently closed a one-woman show in Turkey that will likely be returning. The first feature film that she ever worked on was screened at Tribeca Film Festival, and she's a founding member of Italia Theatre Company, a New York City-based collective that makes art for the other by the other. It's led by international women. It's incredible. Absolutely check it out. Dennis talks about her time at NYU Tisch, finding collaborators, which is how she and I met, the power of self-producing. I have never seen Dennis wait around for permission from anyone else to get something done, whether it be creating a new work of theater or writing her own short film she put through the festival circuit. She just, if if you need to hear somebody talk about just going after it and just doing it, listen to this episode it'll just help give you that spark of Dennis is right I'm not waiting around I'm gonna do it also we talk about how networking is actually horizontal not always so much vertical so without further ado please enjoy pretend like you're at the coffee shop with Dennis and I both catching up and me asking for questions about her career and her life journey Dennis Bilotta on new to the table (laughs) I'm not actually. I'm like fun nervous. Me too. I mean, I haven't interviewed somebody in a minute too. Not for like a few months. Can I interview you later? Maybe. I mean, I have therapy at (laughs) 12.15. That's kind of interviewing, isn't it? (laughs) I'm going to get interviewed today. That's great. (laughs) Welcome to new to the table, Dennis. Hi. My first question that I love to ask everybody because I love hearing how people describe what they do to other people is simply when people ask you, what do you do? What do you tell them?
1: I tell them I'm an actor and sometimes that makes me uncomfortable. And sometimes like, should I just lie and say I'm like an arts consultant because (laughs) they won't really ask questions if I say that. But if I say I'm an actor, then they're going to ask me what they've seen me in. And I'm gonna have to list like indie short films <laughs> or theater that they, don't, they haven't been to. So I always, I used to be so insecure about it, but recently I just say that I'm an actor primarily, but I've embraced not being just one thing because so many parts of the field are intertwined and I've experienced and loved these different aspects too. So mm-hmm. I'm an actor, but I'm also a producer. Sometimes I write, I'm an assistant director, I've been a production coordinator. There were times I did more production work than acting jobs, but being in production gave me so much confidence as an actor that I can't kind of like overlook that part of me as well.
0: I feel like you've done so many different jobs that it's hard for you to even come up with like, you know how some people have their set multi-hyphenate, like I'm an actor, writer, producer or something like that. Your multi-hyphenate would be like an entire page long because you've done like so many things.
1: That's true. I think I'm a little bit of an Excel spreadsheet kind of girl and it shows yeah. that, like this whole assistant director thing just kind of happened because I was a planner. I plan everything. Yeah. I like planning things. and like sticking to my plan and checking these things that I've planned. So people like my friends knowing that would be like, hey, can you do, like assistant direct this thing for me? And I'll be like, okay. Yeah. And so people think that I do that as a job sometimes, which I did. And I loved it. Um, yeah. And I like doing all of them at the same time because it feels more like a puzzle coming together. As an actor, we have the puzzle of our character, but yeah. in production or when a theater production is coming together, working in other parts of the job feels like you're actually putting something
0: together more. And I love that. And like you said before, like if you're primarily an actor too, getting involved behind the scenes really only helps you when you're in mm-hmm. that position as an actor on set again or on stage you just finished a one-woman show in turkey it's called tangled it has nothing to do with the film tangled Mm -hmm. but it
1: tells a woman's freedom journey not only her freedom journey but her realization of what freedom means for a woman all around the world how was
0: that that is so scary that it's
1: It's just scary it was so scary But to be honest, after we wrapped for the season, I was invited to my high school graduation as a notable alumni speaker, which is so nice, so nice. And I did the graduation speech for the class of 2023 and my legs were shaking, my hands were shaking, my voice was shaking. And I was like, how is this more nerve wracking than my one woman show? (laughs) I was so nervous. But honestly, it is it is nerve wracking to be alone on stage. Because I always relied on like other actors. Yeah. Um, both in the rehearsal process to help me unpack my character, help me make choices. But also on an emotional level, it is nice to have that bonding over how nervous you are that night or if you're scared or if you're sick, that you know that you can rely on them. And I did feel very alone at times. But rehearsing for it was easier than I thought it would be.
0: You made it through, so congrats. Thank you. It was lovely. Also recently, you worked on a film that just premiered at Tribeca Film Festival. Tell us about it. Yes. So we filmed it August of 2022, a week after I moved back
1: home to Turkey. So for right. context, I used to work and live in New York um, when I moved there for college. And then I moved back home to Turkey. And it was A, my first job back. B, it was within the week. So I felt, oh my gosh, this is great. I had a job immediately after coming back and I found that job. I met the director, Manik, one of the directors, because we had two, through my previous general manager, Monique Ford, which was great. So my New York network helped me find a job in Turkey and they asked me to be the unit production manager for it. First of all, it was my first unit production manager job and also with my first feature film. And it was in another in a city that I've never been to in Turkey called Karsitz, in late very, very east of the country, which I've never been. It is a film about a black American woman from New York called Leila comes to Turkey for a journey all alone and she's traveling alone. Right. And she gets sidetracked by different people that she meets here, and some chance encounters have her stay in Turkey for a little longer than she planned to.
0: I can't imagine walking into not only my first feature film, but doing it in a role that I've never done before. Yeah. That is such. The
1: closest thing I did to it was production coordinating. And yeah. even then, it was for short films, it was within a studio.
0: How did you take that on? I feel like there's a lot of roles in film too that you just sort of have to jump into and learn in the moment because it's not like you can always go to school for certain roles and know that. So what would your advice be to anybody who's doing something very similar to what you did and how you got through it and had the confidence to just do it?
1: Wow, yeah. Honestly, I would tell them to do it anyways. Do it scared because it will later give you so much confidence. Like you could look back on, especially as actors, like if you haven't studied that but still do it, experience it, learn it, and then do it. Then you'll realize that you don't have to be confined in like just acting, which just acting is so great and you should be proud of that. But there's so many things that you can do while you're waiting for your next acting job. And with this job specifically, first of all, I knew that someone recommended me for the job. So I knew that at least she trusted me to do that. Yeah. my Malik, Ada, and I did like an interview thing together and immediately they were like, We want you to come on. Seeing how confident they were in me, I was like, Okay. I can do this. I can at least fake it. And when we got to the set, especially my producer, Edda, who's only a few years older than us, but so experienced. She was also the AD and I was the second AD. So we collaborated a lot throughout this project and she she relied on me and I relied on her so much. She was teaching me everything. Week one, she taught me everything and then she was like, okay, so now you do all of these things so I can actually focus on production. So I would give the advice of just... Do it and you will learn it on the job. And a lot of people learn it on the job. It's not like people graduate from college, even if that is their primary field and they know it all. You know, you had your first acting job at one point. So why not have your first production job? You shouldn't turn down opportunities if in your heart you want to do it. Not being qualified enough shouldn't be a reason for you to turn down a job. If you're not qualified, they wouldn't ask you to do it.
0: Oh, I like that. Because I am such a person that even if I was in your exact situation and Monique had recommended me for that job to a friend, I would start to get nervous that now there's all these expectations on me and what if I'm not going to live up to them and I'll talk myself out of it. But I really like that you're saying if you weren't qualified, like you wouldn't have the opportunity. It wouldn't be sitting there in front of you from all these people that you know and that have met you and trust you and worked with you. Yeah, like my friend on
1: this project, Iman, gave me the advice of what's for you will not get past you. Yeah. But you can also interpret that as like, and what is not for you will get past you. And if this landed on your lap, like you should take it. It means that it's for you. Don't turn it down. Write it down. Put it on a post-it. <laughs> Stick it, Put on, it on, on your a mirror. <laughs> on your wall right now. Yeah. Repeat it Another every day. <laughs>
0: what was the first moment that you realized that you wanted to act and that you wanted to also be involved in film in so many ways and what were some of the things that you said yes to along the way that took you from Turkey to New York and then back to Turkey because I just think hearing other people's paths and their twists and turns is always inspiring and makes anybody who's listening it makes sense you'll like theirs could be more accessible and more possible mm-hmm. and real.
1: That's amazing. I love, honestly, telling the story of how I decided to become an actor, and I love hearing when really? other actor actors do it because it's always like my first words were Meryl Street when I was like ten months old. <laughs> it's like this huge, dramatic little tale that they like to tell, and it's always so. I think people decide that they want to be actors when they're very little, and I think most people give up, on it. and then some of us, some of us, we go with it. And <laughs> so my story, it was in a school ceremony where my Class was uh, given the task to create a drama piece. It was a national holiday. It was a piece on the reforms that happened in Turkey along with the establishment of the um, Turkish Republic in in 1923. I had the part, the finale, where it talked about like women's freedom in Turkey and how women gained political rights, right to vote, right to run for office. And after that brief moment on stage, people came up to me and they were like, oh my gosh, you were so good. So my 10-year-old self, I was truly surprised because to me, it didn't have that much of a weight until I saw people's reaction. And I was like, whoa, I really can make an impact in small ways on other people. And to be honest, looking back on it, I'm beginning to realizing that they were maybe more impressed with like the subject matter at hand rather than <laughs> my performance in it. Because no matter who's going to do it, it's going to be like a moment of reflection when you think about like women's freedom and like women's right to vote and stuff like that but it just so happened to be me so I just took the compliments and ran with it and the sight of your delivery author. was incredible too <laughs> it was honestly it was like fun because it was a little bit and it feels weird talking about it because at the end of the day I was in the fourth grade like how how interesting could it be but like it was basically, I was like wrapped in like bed sheets and then I would like pull them away and I would be like free of my burdens, you know. That's so some high
0: production like, value here. <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah, exactly. It was serious. Yeah, so that's my story. After that, the typical one theater class, after the other, mom and dad, please take me to drama classes. And I became mm-hmm. very active in the drama class of my school, school plays, and then NYU. But my best friend, ermak had so also wanted to become an actor and neither of us had any other actors in our families so it was a shocker in our family too when the two of us were like hi we're gonna become actors we're gonna go to New York we did have a support system within our families but we didn't really have someone to look up to that did that but we had each other and perhaps having each other was like the biggest gift and the most encouraging thing on our little adventure together because being two little girls played to dress up and singing high school musical and wanting to be Sharpay Evans when we grew up to traveling across the world to go to NYU together we've been lucky to have each other and about going to NYU I went to an international school here in Turkey so it was pretty a lot of the people that I went to school with ended up going to school abroad because we had like an international system of education that just lent itself well to going abroad so that wasn't too crazy but perhaps going to theater school was a little crazy even some of my best friends and me and among some of best friends were like are you guys serious right now you can't go to drama school just like study business and do it on the side let it be your hobby a lot of people said that's what which I mean I guess they were trying to be careful but you know we didn't listen (laughs) And then we went to audition to NYU together and our drama classes in high school were very much like theater collaboration class. We didn't really do a lot of monologues. We didn't know the system of, you know, auditioning, especially in the U.S., so we found a theater mentor. His name is Kaja Bozjan. He is my director for Tangled. So that's how I met him. I met him when wow. we were 17. And ermak and I were like, you need to train us for like a month so that we can audition for NYU. <laughs> and he was like, okay. And then we did a few classes with him. And then her and I basically took off a week from school to go to Chicago. We somehow managed to schedule all all the auditions at the same time in Chicago. So we took off a week from school. It was February. So it was very cold in Chicago. And all we did was like eating hot Cheetos and Reese's (laughs) and, you know, just American candy, American stuff. And then we auditioned and came back. The fact that we both got into NYU was insane because a lot of people, especially from our school, were telling us, you are both two girls with the same exact resume. It's probably very hard for you to get into the same school. And we were like, okay, you know, we'll just see how it goes. And then we got in. We weren't really competitive with, obviously, amongst each other or, like, about getting into our dream school or whatever. At that point in senior year, I think you're, like, so overwhelmed by everything that you're, like, I just want to get into a
0: college. Full transparency, listener. Dennis and I met at NYU today. Yes, we did. <laughs> at NYU, you also were an associate producer and artist for Ed Alley, a theater company, yeah. and general manager at Invisible Disco Productions, among, like, acting in school productions and and everything else and I really want to know sort of what you learned from again taking on different roles and being a part of art in many different ways all at the same time and being a student
1: yeah that was like me joining Italia and Invisible Disco was the beginning of me starting to take on other roles because it happened yeah in junior year basically I started my collaboration with both of these companies in the beginning of 2020 just from like weeks apart from each other it just happened so quickly Mm -hmm. And I knew that I wanted to do something like that because the semester before at NYU, I'd taken a production class and it was mostly theater production, but I met a lot of theater makers around New York. And for this class, we analyzed a theater company from somewhere else in the world, including a Turkish one, actually. And we would (laughs) invite them as a guest speaker to the class through Zoom and we would like interview them. And then I realized a lot of the people that were doing production in theater were artists. It wasn't like they they, they didn't come out of business school. And they could, but they haven't. So I was very encouraged by that. And then the next semester I started my education at Stern Street, which was a studio, which is a studio at NYU. So there we did a lot of film stuff and some crew stuff too. And that's when I decided that I would like to experience production a little bit more because I was also very upset about like actors not having enough autonomy. And that's exactly what I was looking at. I was like, as actors, we need more autonomy. And these two companies gave me that. And they found me exactly when I was my at my most frustrated era with like the entire industry. And now, but you know, then as well. And through these opportunities, I later got my job at OTE as a UPM or my job at Snow Street as a assistant director. Because yeah. at the end of the day, we were producing for ourselves. It, it wasn't Absolutely. like we were a production company and we wanted to produce other people's work. I mean, that too, obviously, we want to help other artists and we want to give them a platform. And it ended up being that. But initially, they're both created so we could produce our own stuff and we could put ourselves into it because we don't want to wait around for yeah a producer to give us a job ever. And as actors, I think we're trained to think that we need to wait around or go from one audition to the next uh, which we should still but you know that's not it that's not yeah everything that you can do With Invisible disco productions in 2021 we produced four short films within four months
0: that's just insane.
1: yeah and yeah. it was basically like it was basically a friend group directing our, their own thing casting their friends in it mm-hmm. providing the material for themselves um and you know we later sent them all of them to different festivals, and they were both pretty successful in the festival circuit. I'm very proud of my work there because we just kind of took charge of our own work. And it was also immediately after college. So, you know, you kind of don't know if you should find a day job or start auditioning. You really don't know what to do. Then yeah. because we had each other, we were like, okay, we're just going to
0: produce these now, which was great. Maybe. I've always been so inspired by you guys and by you, because you just always like, it's, it never feels like you're waiting around for anybody. You're always self-producing in these spaces, just making things happen. That's the thing about you and your energy. It's always like, I always know that this is going to make things happen no matter what, which I love. Oh, thank you. Thank you. And I think like the
1: people that I met at Italian Invisible Disco kind of encouraged that, Because, Mm. first of all, Invisible Disco really encouraged my writing. I've never considered myself a writer, but my friends at Invisible Disco were all writers, besides being an actor and director and all of those stuff. So they were like, why don't you write it? And I was like, it's not ready yet. And they were like, show me. They would really, like, force me into it, which is how Angel, the film that I acted in for Invisible Disco, was written. They were like, just do it then. It was just do it. Just show it to us. Italia, too. They have their go-getter energy, obviously, because Italia is, like, founded and run by international women artists living in New York. And when I joined them, I was like, this is a missing piece that I didn't know I needed in my life. I didn't Mm -hmm. even know because it was again, junior year of college. I had a solid friend group. I had enough collaborators. I didn't think I needed anything else or anyone else, but meeting them and collaborating with them because later they became some of my really close friends. I was like, I didn't even know I needed this because it gives an international woman artist a platform to do work. But it's also a very supportive environment. I co-produced and co-acted in one of my favorite performances of all time, which was called This Is Me Eating Blank, which ended up being a digital project in the pandemic to later get a grant through Anna Mayoli. Then ended up being an actual play or like an interactive performance.
0: Yeah, like fully realized. Yeah,
1: yeah, it is the best project I've ever been a part of. I <laughs> that project is so dear to me, and I was like, "At theater, thank you very much."
0: I feel like the other common thread through all of that too is your collaboration, and this was such a big thing at Tish that they told all of us. It's like that thing where where your parents tell you something, your teachers tell you something, and you're like, "Yeah, yeah sure," and then a few years later, you're like wait, you're so right. Because I think the other three line for you is collaborating with your friends and your friends are going to be the ones that you work with. And your friends are going to be the one that help create opportunity for you. And we always sometimes picture networking and collaborating as this vertical ladder. And I've only realized kind of recently that it's so horizontal. It's so much more horizontal than you think. And the idea of like needing to learn from people who are so much older than you and experienced than you isn't necessarily true. I Feel like I learned so much from you. And you were one of my peers in school. And then when we both worked together after school, and I, I really like that so much of your story too, is from leaning on peers and the people next to you and learning from the people all around you. Sure. I learned so much from you. No, <laughs> thanks. Yes, <I> did. <laughs> What's your go-to advice for networking and collaborating in that way? Because I feel like you've been really successful at it. And you're a really good example of what can happen when you collaborate with the people around you.
1: Yeah. As actors, we need to realize that no one's going to present the type of work we want to do on a silver platter. Yeah. No producer is going to do that for you. So you have to just go out there and do it yourself. And you can do it yourself. And I yeah. agree. Like NYU, I remember clearly the chair of Tish drama event was like,
0: mm-hmm.
1: there is no competition at NYU. I was like, that's great. I'm the least competitive person ever. I don't like it. It's so <laughs> discouraging to me. Some people get encouraged by it, but I don't. So I remember being so happy when he said that. And it ended up being true. It's one of those cliches of, oh, we're a family here. Your (laughs) classmates here are your future collaborators. It sounds like a cliche, but it is true. It became true for us. Honestly, if it were up to me, I'd work with the same five people over and over again. Mm -hmm. Or like 10 people over and over again. And that would be it. Once you establish a great working relationship, especially amongst your friends, it's a blast. It's like a party. And I'm a huge believer that in terms of networking, work begets work and opportunity begets mm-hmm. opportunity. That's exactly how I got all my jobs so far. So, yeah, <laughs> I'm a huge believer in that. And even my, like, my relationship with Ermac, because we grew up together, quote unquote, working together. Cause, like, when we were little, it wasn't really work, but we collaborated together for so long that. I got introduced to this idea of like, oh, your friends can be your collaborators at an early age. I didn't even realize it at the time because at one point in high school, the entire drama department was just me and her. And we were very happy. We <laughs> ran that show. It was great.
0: <laughs> so <laughs> I've always you been hyper teacher. aware. The, yeah. drama <laughs> <laughs> the drama department.
1: The drama department. It was literally the two of us and the teacher. <laughs> <laughs> you know, she loved us. It was great. But. So I was hyper aware from like an early age that my best friends could and in the future would be my collaborators and it ended up being 100% true and I love working with people that are close to me in age and I think people younger are more open to collaboration they're more open to learning Mm -hmm. from each other because I think with age comes this idea of like oh I already have everything I need I already know everything Mm -hmm. right you know which we could be true I learned so much from like my mentor here but I think he's an exception like I don't think I don't, there are some people that will not want to work with like a bunch of 20 year olds, you know, and that's fine. Even stuff that had nothing to do with acting, like I learned how to camera operate from my coworker at Stone Street, Mike Minari, who's a year mm-hmm. older than us. He literally was like, let yeah. me hey, just teach you. And I was like, okay. And now I know that. And learning the camera taught me so much about acting too, because I learned a technical aspect of it.
0: And literally, a guy that's a year older than me taught me that. <laughs> we can pick that. Up- so many skills from our friends we're all open to the idea that we don't know everything and there's not that expectation when you're on set with all your friends so you're all figuring it out together and there's something really inspiring about that yeah conversely though another trademark question that we love to ask is have you ever faced disrespect in this industry and if so how did you cope with it would you do anything differently now, looking back on it and being like, I would have done something maybe a little bit differently, knowing what I know now?
1: Yeah, honestly, obviously, for sure. And it's always been in a very subtle, off-handed mm-hmm. way that I wasn't really able to do anything. I mean, even talk about it in the first place, because, because it was never so outwardly. Whenever I think about it or whenever I talk about it, it I was scared that it would end up making me feel like I was misreading the room or making it a big deal. You know, when it's not stupid, obviously, obviously, I wouldn't rather it be so outwardly disrespectful. But when it's in a very subtle way, you don't know if it's like, oh, is it me? Am I really making this a big deal? Like, you don't really understand what's going on. Or are they joking? Like, you don't really understand that, right? And it has played differently in Turkey and the US. So in the US, it's been more about more in the production stuff that I've been in where especially men don't really know me when they don't really know me and when they're just coming in for a production day for a few days and you know we're not friends or anything they just see a five foot two girl you know foreign woman in her early 20s running a film set and their automatic reaction is like ooh i'm not going to take her seriously or like <laughs> i bet i can like soften her up a little bit i'm like No, just do your job and get out. Like I'm not (laughs) looking to to be friends or anything. And, you know, so when they try to be with you and like try to soften you up because you like want to make a film and want to like do your job and get out of there, that can be a little irritating. And it is disrespectful, but I feel even the way I talk about it, I like make up for them. I like make excuses for them because I don't want to make it a big deal because I never know if, if. The problem is going to get resolved if I talk about it or if it's just going to be me like screaming about something. I would like to talk about it if I know that it could be solved because otherwise it's just going to leave me more disappointed. And then Turkey, it's been more with the fact that I'm young because Turkey has a very well established theater route and the national theater and stuff. And along with that comes hierarchy on the base of age. And Mm -hmm. they just think that I lack the experience that they do. And maybe technically I do, but I'm not as inexperienced as they think I am. And, you know, they know their own conservatories in Turkey, which are very rigorous and great, I guess. And they know that I went to school abroad, so they think that I lack their discipline. But Mm -hmm. I don't. (laughs) And I often think that they lack my discipline. I think I'm more disciplined Mm -hmm. than they are, and they think I'm more than less disciplined than they are. And with that, I really can't do anything because... I am younger than them, but I need to remind myself that they only have this sort of prejudice because they didn't have the experience that I did as a 24 year old, you know, mm. it just is a reflection of their lack of experience when they were my age. Right. So I keep reminding myself that. And mostly I've relied so much on my like woman friends and women colleagues throughout this. I I mean, I've talked to you so much about men being men not taking me seriously on film we've text. had some
0: conversations we've had <laughs> we some have.
1: conversations and honestly that helped me more than anything honestly it helped me more than kicking that person out of set,
0: because yeah. at least I felt heard you know yeah yeah because, having that support uh, support system yeah. in a way it's like sometimes in certain situations sometimes the only thing that can really help you mentally get through it
1: yeah Especially when you're even psyching yourself out being like, oh, am I making this a big deal? Like when I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm like, this happened to me when, and then when you're like, oh yes, that is a valid thing to be concerned about or stressed about or frustrated about. I'm like, okay, I am not the problem here. Like to be able to say yeah. that is the most
0: encouraging thing sometimes. Exactly. Yeah. Oh, we had some conversations. <laughs> yes, we did. Didn't we? <laughs> We did. But I think the through line too, again, like it's just leaning on your friends, leaning on your peers. Um, and sometimes there are unique situations in this industry that as women or or people who are gender minorities, we just uniquely experience. And like you said, a lot of the times it's subtle. So it's not always something that you can be like, look, this is a, a black and white issue. They're clearly in the the wrong. And because sometimes you are worried that you'll become the problem on set and you're going to be create more drama, which is, it's like its whole... Thing, and I do hear it from so many people that I ask this question from that they just don't want to create more drama and feed into it. And I'm always like, look at all of us being the bigger person.
1: <laughs> yeah, but especially if other people that, other people in the room know the problem person and haven't seen them be problem before. Like, it's also like, how am I going to tell them that their friend is a little bit of a red flag? How am I going to yeah, say that?
0: Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Well, I want to just, wrap up and ask some fun speed round questions to end on the lighter note after we talk about disrespect <laughs> um, Yes, <amazing. laughs> so are you ready for the speed round yes question number one what was the last thing that you watched on tv love death and robots season three although it came out a year ago I like Are you have so speed round
1: and I like explained it <laughs> yeah okay. What was the last book you read? A, a Turkish book called Turkan by Aisha Kudin. I'll explain this too because it's Turkish. Do it. <laughs> it's a biographical fiction about
0: the life of Dr. Turkan Saidan. Hmm. Interesting. Would you recommend?
1: Yeah, she was a very charitable woman who worked in the field of leprosy in Turkey for many, many years and you know traveled all around. Even though she was from Istanbul and based in Istanbul, she traveled all around the world even like years ago
0: when certain parts of turkey was very impoverished to you know help people that sounds so interesting lastly if you could tell a younger version of yourself one thing what would it be what you bring to the table is
1: valuable and it's enough and if people Mm -hmm. don't see that then give yourself a little pat on the back and move on to the next thing
0: well that's a wrap thank you for being
1: on the table Thank you so much for having me. Bye. Bye.
0: <laughs> and that's a wrap on another episode of New to the Table, a podcast produced by She Sources. Thank you so much, Dennis, for your time and sitting down with me. It was so weird and cool at the same time that I got to interview you as a Friend, collaborator, number one member of your fan club. If you want to learn more about Dennis, visit ww.dennisbulat.com to join the fan club, obviously, and also email her, follow her on Instagram, do all those things because she's amazing, and I cannot wait to see what she's up to next, because I know it's gonna be great. And if you want to read this conversation in written form, you can visit www.shesources.co If you've been listening to the episodes, at the end of each episode I'm saying, oh, you can get the written version of this piece. Like next week and then I haven't been able to post any of them yet because it's early days of the podcast and we are still figuring out the workflow if I'm being completely honest but I really want everything to be available in written form as well because depending on who you are you can get something different out of listening to something versus reading it so that will be up on the website so soon again my name is Emma Woodfield Stern I am very happy that I was your host for this episode of New to the Table and we'll catch you next time